Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Rory. And I'm Jay. And this is Midnight Chats, an Octivigant companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers and have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. On this episode, we are joined by author, television personality, paranormal investigator, and podcaster Mike Ricksecker, author of A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People. Which you guys heard us ramble about last week. Yeah. Shadows. Yeah. And uh, I think it was it was a lot of fun. Mike's a fun guy. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, I listened to the audiobook, So like I was prepared to like I knew what he sounded like. But man, he like it. it I don't know. It was very different still. Uh, I spent most of today binging his podcast, Connecting the Universe. And uh, I got to say, there is something hypnotic about his voice. Yeah, uh, it, he is. He does a good job of a kind of a lecture format. If, if yeah. he feels very professory. Yeah, he's got a he's yes. got a good uh, he's got a good voice. But like the young hip professor, that's <laughs> the kind of, yeah. like not the old crusty professor. Jay, don't look at me like that. What, <laughs> dude? I'm not looking at you at all. I oh. think Jay just like had the 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 what you call it that stare, uh, thousand Ten, yard stare. That's the one. The blue screen? Yeah, blue screen of death. Okay, good. So that was, I was just witnessing brain death, not malice. <laughs> yeah. Apparently in Eastern Europe, they call that the stare of the goat. Huh. Well, on that <laughs> fascinating but useless bit of trivia, I think we're ready to launch into the interview, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Let's go. Take us away, Alan the Alien. with Mike Ricksecker. Mike, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you so much for having me this evening. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have you. Absolutely, we are. So, uh, getting into it a little bit, our first question is one that we like to ask all of our guests uh, as we are a book club. What are you reading? Uh, Do you have any new books burning a hole through your nightstand or your travel bag? (laughs) Actually. (laughs) This just arrived in the mail yesterday, Simulacra, Simulacra Simulation. So I'm getting ready for the new Matrix movie. Very cool. Very, that, very that bo- cool. That book has been on my Amazon wish list for like, uh, I think, six months now. <laughs> uh, so do you tend to focus most of your reading on the paranormal world or do you ever ingest any fiction, anything like that? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I have a wide range of tastes and uh, I, I really enjoy mystery novels so robert crace is my favorite mystery writer the uh elvis cole and joe pike novel so okay yeah, i'll read some fiction as well but um on audio right now i'm listening to uh, the future of humanity by michio kaku so when i'm very you know, cool. out there walking that's that's what's in my earbuds oh very cool all right well uh 
Thank you for sharing that. So now getting on to your book in uh, specific, we really enjoyed uh, A Walk in the Shadows. Uh, This was kind of the first time that I've, at least me personally, ever really took a close look at the shadow person phenomenon. Same. Because for a long time, I just thought, it's a ghost. They're just a type of ghost. And that's all there is to it. So we have some uh, questions. Just kind of get your general opinion about some of this. And in your book, one section that really got our brains going was the discussion surrounding the voice of shadow people. Uh, In that chapter, obviously, you you talk about how most communication is uh, mind to mind via telepathy. And we were curious, at any point, have you found or heard of an EVP which seemed to originate from a shadow person? Oh, yeah, good question. Uh, You know, some of the EVPs that we picked up at the... uh, the Edmund case, which, you know, is, is in that book, uh, quite, quite extensively where, you know, it was the red eyed shadow entity. Oh yeah. Yep. And that uh, was terrorizing the girl, Talison. Mm. Uh, it was the case that was featured on the haunted, my, uh, was it shadow, uh, monster in the closet. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a red eyed shadow entity. And in that particular case, when, you know, it, it, it took me a while to think of it. Wait a minute. I actually have heard the voice before. And I know in that chapter, it's like, yeah. And, and I state, I didn't really even think about the voice thing until Carl Johnson mentioned something uh, some years ago uh, in a, in a conference that I was at and threw the question out from behind. And ever since then, I've been getting all kinds of stories about you know, voices of shadow entities, but with that particular case, just going back and thinking about it, yes, I did get an EVP from that entity. So it, it did not look like a shadow at the time that I picked up the EVP. But when um, when Talison got punched in the gut and we caught on audio, on my uh, audio recorder, the, the word die right in that moment. Well, this was the entity that had been terrorizing her and she had always seen it as a red-eyed shadow entity as well as others in the house so that that was one particular case or one particular instance from that case but there were other evps that we picked up throughout that case where we were trying to investigate and determine okay who or what are we dealing with here we went back several several times uh to that to that house to investigate and try to determine what's going on here and there are several evps that we picked up there that seem to be from that entity we just at that time and this is a long time ago this um a good 11 years now uh, we were really thinking of it in that context but looking back now it's like okay yeah that actually would have been a time that we picked it up very very cool now, now i i'm curious uh because obviously there's a lot of mystery surrounding shadow people and what they are and what their motives are um do you think that that might be a viable way of getting answers to that kind of straight up asking them and trying to see if you can capture their voice again? Well, I mean, that's one of my favorite approaches really is, uh, is EVP and just doing direct communication. Let's talk, let's chat, let's have a conversation. And that's, you know, aside from just, you know, researching uh, shadow phenomena, just in working with, you know, ghosts and spirits in general, I feel like if we just sit down and try to have a conversation as if they were still living and present with us, uh, then we get much better interaction with that particular entity. And so yeah, I think the same applies with shadows as well. Have you found that, uh, I guess, non-shadow people, ghosts or other entities that aren't shadow people are more forthcoming uh, than shadow people would be? <laughs> um, I, I think it depends on the... Um, they each have their own personalities, you know, mm. 
know, fantastic example. And I use this example when talking about using information as a trigger object, where you know, we were sitting in a uh, old airplane from World War II. It actually had seen uh, action in battle uh, during the Second World War. And we're up there, you know, doing an EVP session. We've got all the devices sitting out there, getting nothing, getting nothing, getting nothing. You know, kind of going through the same questions, you know, is there anybody here with us? You know, can you tell us a little about yourself? That sort of thing. We're not getting anything. Well, finally, I just strike up like a little mini conversation and start talking about, hey, you know, I used to be in the Air Force. I know that originated out of the old Army Air Corps for which you would have flown for. And then, boom, all of a sudden we start getting interaction on the devices. We start getting some EVPs coming across. And so really just kind of getting personable and having a conversation, we were able to find out that uh, the, the spirit that was there with us at the time had been the navigator on that airplane during World War II. So um, I always, you know, that was kind of a good lesson for me to learn that, you know, just try to have a normal conversation uh, with these things because they're not really things anyway. They are, you know, some sort of intelligent life, whether it uh, was once a, uh, once a human or, you know, whether it's some other intelligent life form. That's fascinating. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> so just out of curiosity, then, when you're dealing with a haunting situation, what do you look for to differentiate between a ghost haunting or an extra dimensional shadow person type haunting? Yeah, you know, it takes a lot of investigation. You know, there's uh, places that I've investigated for years, and then all of a sudden, you, you get a little bit of. Uh, you know, something strange or different happens that you hadn't seen before that kind of tips you off. Okay. Maybe this isn't actually, you know, a ghost or a spirit that we're dealing with. And maybe it is and, and not actually something else that you know people thought this was, um, you know, and, and some of it might be information it gives you. Uh, some of it might just be, you know, and I know we're going to talk about it at, at, at some point because it's a big part of my book, the rolling black smoke that morphed into the apparition of a little girl where it's like, okay, what exactly is this thing? Is this, um, you know, is this a shadow entity? Is it a human spirit? Are they one in the same? You know, it poses a lot of questions, but I had investigated there at Mineral Springs Hotel in Illinois for, for years and years and years. And all of a sudden here's a you know, bit of a different play on things that we've experienced. So I think it, um, you know, you can go to a location and investigate, get a kind of a, you know, maybe an introduction as to what's going on at that particular location. But I think it's just repeated investigating, going back, going back and putting the clues together. You know, you, you know we use the term paranormal investigator and you know, really that's, that's what it is. You are a detective. Yeah. You're, you're doing detective work and trying to put all the pieces together to, to solve the puzzle. Uh, now, thinking about your your story about the World War II airplane and then uh, later on the repeated investigations till eventually you had that black mist encounter. Uh, how much of that do you think is – I mean, again, uh, think about World War II. You were a soldier. You were in the Air Force. How much of that do you think it is is based upon, I guess, the mental state of those going into the situation, what they're expecting, what they want to see maybe subconsciously, uh, kind of what you know our individual personal wavelengths we bring to the situation? Yeah, you know, that's that's a challenge because we do have, um, you know, it's human nature. We have preconceptions going into a location. It may have been 
you know, something that we've heard about the building or the spirits that are supposed to inhabit it, or just, you know, knowing the type of building that it is like with that particular case, it was a hangar, um, you know, old hotel. It, it could be somebody's house, but maybe it's a more historic home. So we go in with all kinds of different preconceptions. And even if we don't even think about it, uh, they're there, you know, it could just be this, we could walk into a place and, and get a smell of something. And all of a sudden that smell you know, puts our mind into a different state. So right. uh, it, it is a challenge to work with that, but, uh, or to, to work around that and just look at everything kind of, if you're trying to compartmentalize and, and take a look at one thing that's going on and try to exclude everything else, um, that becomes a challenge. You know, what is going to influence your decision-making in this process as far as, you know, deducing what exactly is going on or even, uh, trying to get an idea of what's the next step that we should take. And it's it's really kind of a delicate balance because some of those uh, external things, like I mentioned, a smell, or maybe it's a sound or just a general feeling that you get. Sometimes you need those to take the next step, but sometimes sometimes you take too much of that into account. So um like let's say you smell all of a sudden smell flowers and then all of a sudden that you're just focused on whether it's a perfume or you know maybe they uh, maybe start thinking they were a gardener or, or something like that and you just stick there too long you know even though you know all the other evidence that you're starting to get doesn't lead you down that path some people get too focused in that so it's really a delicate balance oh thank you for that answer that's very uh very interesting now, moving to some of your more recent work, uh, we've recently been binge watching the Alaska Triangle uh, over this last weekend. And obviously, we know that your most recent book is concerning the triangle. Um, and one question we had kind of looking at uh, the, that research in the light of the shadow people in your time in Alaska researching uh, the Alaskan Triangle. Have you come across many shadow person stories, any places where those phenomenon seemed to overlap? No, I was stationed in Alaska for three years uh, at Elmendorf Air Force Base. And the building that I primarily uh, was at the first year, I was basically waiting for my security clearance to come in. So I was across the street working at the squadron networking uh, office. And I ended up, uh, once I got the clearance, in the Alaska Command Building in the basement in the secure communications facility. And down in that basement, we frequently experienced shadow activity, uh, especially in the back corner office where it was it was just really creepy back there. And, and some of that was the lighting. The lighting was very dim back there. So that kind of messed with you, too. But um, but, yeah, we would see it going in and out of uh, the one server room a lot, definitely in the back office area. And it was just it was one of those things that was there. And people started they, they created a little legend about it where. Um, you know, they started saying that the uh, the facility that we were at being in the basement there had uh, once been the morgue to a hospital and that the, the building that had actually once been a hospital. We were in the morgue where our server racks were at, where, you know, where the coolers had been and um, doing the research for the book. I wanted this was a story that I'd heard for you know two years while I was down there. I wanted to substantiate that. And lo and behold, the building was never a hospital. It was only ever used for command. So it's one of those, okay, where's the story come from? But, mm -hmm. you know, still interesting because, you know, we saw that shadow play down there. Now, you know, who or what was that? 
you know, it's not going to be, okay, we eliminate the hospital. Um, you know, the, the building was, you know, named for the, uh, basically the, the first base commander who uh, had perished in a plane crash. So he's not really haunting the building because the building was built after he had passed away. Uh, so it's like, okay, it's not him. It's not a you know, human spirit. So I start throwing the idea together. Okay. Maybe we're experiencing some sort of time slip here. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're actually seeing uh, you know, soldiers from the past or even of the future. Cause you know, some of these shadow entities can actually be that as well. Some sort of time slip where we're seeing another place in, in space time just play out in front of us. And it happens with apparitions too, not just shadows. I'm uh, I'm just I'm thinking of the the type of the type of hat man that appears in like a trench coat and a fedora. And I've got this this image stuck in my brain of it's a it's a private detective from the future that's using time <laughs> travel to come back and gather right. relevant information of it's like, stop screaming. I'm trying to solve your granddaughter's murder. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's funny. Um, I'm going to go a little off script here just because uh, your story there got me got me thinking. Uh, we often on our show talk about UFOs. I'm a, a bit of a of a of a UFO buff um, nerd. Yeah, thanks. And uh, <laughs> they're his favorite things. We nice. uh, and in that we've obviously talked about uh, kind of the culture of silence around the military, especially military members not wanting or being able to report. Is there a similar, uh, I guess, unspoken agreement when it comes to uh, non UFO phenomenon, things like shadow people, ghosts, or could you talk about that with fellow soldiers without fear of being you know, sent to the loony bin? Yeah, you have to be careful with it um, because depending on what you say or do, they, they will have no problem sending you down to mental health. Right. Um, you know, if you say the wrong thing, you know, you're going to you know, write it out. Here's your ticket. You're going down to mental health. Uh, so you do have to be careful. And so anytime it was uh, brought up, it was kind of just, you know, very hush hush. It was in whispers. And so when the stories were told about it being a hospital, uh, you know, that's, it was kind of under people's breath. Yeah, there was uh, one time when, uh, when I was really meeting my supervisor for the first time, he was on a temporary duty when I first uh, got moved over there. So I didn't meet him for a couple of weeks and uh, so finally he shows up after I've already been there for a while and I'd already seen a little bit of, of the activity and we're sitting down in his office and having a little chat. And all of a sudden I see something pass by the door and I kind of look and he sees expression on my face and he's just like, yeah, that happens here. So he knew exactly <laughs> what I thought, That's- but you know, he wasn't going to say it and I wasn't going to say it, but it was just, uh, you know, we knew. That was, that, that's, that's amazing. A very similar thing happened when I was working at Target of uh, something creepy happened in the back room and I came sprinting out. And one of my managers is like, yeah, you just got to get used to it. That's just that's just the resident spook. <laughs> now, uh, Anna, continuing along that same thread of thought uh, in your work, have you noticed any cases where other types of paranormal phenomenon or entities seem to, again, overlap with the shadow person phenomenon? I'm thinking about cryptids, UFOs, anything like that. Uh, yeah, certainly you see a lot of these uh, these things overlap or they could even be the same thing. So uh, when we when we look at the UFO phenomenon, there are many accounts of 
encounters with extraterrestrials that are very similar to shadow people encounters. So uh, you hear the stories of people waking up in the bed in the middle of the night. They may or may not have sleep paralysis, but they notice something standing in the corner of their room and they're frightened. Uh, and you know, people in the paranormal community will say well, it's a shadow person. People in the UFO community are saying it's an ET. It may be one and the same thing. Uh, my favorite story to tell about this is with Albert K. Bender from the, uh, in 1952, he had put together the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And in just a year's time, the thing had gone international. It was huge. They were printing their own newsletters, all of this stuff. But then all of a sudden, boom, in 1953, he shut it down. And nobody really understood why that happened. There's speculation that maybe it was the men in black. And uh, you know, finally, in the early 1960s, he releases a book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, where he tells the story of what happened and why he wasn't allowed to talk about it for so long. And the story he tells is that you know, he was in his he was in his bedroom and these three dark, shadowy entities wearing hats with glowing eyes materialized through his wall and tell him that he has to stop his UFO research. And so you know, I hear the story. I'm thinking this is a shadow person encounter. Uh, like Jay was saying, you know, it's the it's the guys with the hats, the fedoras and everything. Um, and other people hear the story and they're like, well, these are ETs. In fact, uh, Bender said that they were actually extraterrestrials. That was his belief in that uh, they were harvesting resources down in Antarctica. And then other people hear the story and they're like, well, it's it's a man in black story. Well, really, which is it or is it all three? You know, it's it's really hard to discern. But depending on which lens you're viewing it through. It could be any of them. I like that. It could be all three because, I mean, thinking about like the time slip thing, it's a, well, it could be uh, the man in black phenomenon, somebody from the future or past that you're seeing via a shadow of some sort. Well, you know, it's something that occurred to me, actually. Uh, well, well, Mike, while you were speaking there, we previously covered a book called The Michigan Dogman by Linda Godfrey. Um, and in that, there was one story of a woman who was terrorized by, again, like a werewolf kind of creature. But unlike every other story in the book, she couldn't make out any details of it. It looked like the black, a black cutout in the air of the shape of a werewolf. And it kind of, you know, again, is that a dogman encounter? Is that a shadow person encounter? Because I could easily see it being deemed a shadow person encounter despite the odd shape just because there was that palpable sense of dread, the kind of uh, games it kind of played with her, which uh, strike to me as a bit similar to some of the stories described in your book. It could be both. Maybe. It could be both. Yeah. It, I mean, a, a lot of this, you know, it, it bleeds over into each other, um, you know, because I get asked about skinwalkers, when to go, all those sorts of things. And, you know, it, there may be some relation. Uh, I kind of, in my book, I kind of, you know, discredit. Well, no, skinwalkers are shapeshifters. Wendigo are more almost like zombie type things. Uh, but if you're seeing it just as a shadow and no other discernible features, then, you know, yeah, is it the shadow of a skinwalker or a Wendigo? Maybe you're seeing, again, some sort of time slip. And, um, you know, one of the other phenomena that's fascinating to me is the idea of, of doppelgangers, which is another topic I address in the book. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, people will report, they, they tend to report doppelgangers as like the evil twin sort of thing. Uh, but in my research, it seems more and more that you know, the whole doppelganger phenomenon is more of a time slip. And I, you know, share the story of uh, 
uh, the famous poet Goethe, and how he had really ended up seeing himself walking up, up along the uh, the other side of the road. He didn't really figure that out until until years later. You know, he just thought at first as he's walking down the road, there's this you know strange man in a gray suit and a gold tie, and uh, you know, years later he's walking down the opposite direction of that road and looks down and says, wait a minute, I'm wearing the suit and the tie. I was that guy. I saw myself. Oh, um, but I was re- I was recently on a podcast here with, uh, with Jim Harold and he related a story to me. It was a, it was a shadow encounter sort of where um, the individual had recounted that when he was a young child, he had walked into the kitchen and saw this you know, dark hooded shadow figure in the kitchen by the table, scared him to death. Years later, he's in the kitchen making a sandwich at the at the kitchen table. He's wearing a hoodie. Turns to look at the to the doorway, and he sees the shadow of what looks like a small child. It was really himself from years ago, looking back at himself then. So it was really some sort of strange time slip, and all he could make out in that moment was just a shadow form in either direction. So makes me think about the uh, the giant shadows in your book, the 10, 12 foot tall ones. What if it's a time slip to when, you know, giants lived or maybe they're seeing yeah. a dinosaur or something. Right. I, I'm also fascinated by the uh, the the, fir- the first story you relate of the idea of shadow people having a vet- vested interest in us not investigating UFOs. <laughs> That's a completely different <laughs> rabbit hole. That is like, no, no, no. You sit here and you explain this to me why you care. Like they're from uh, the right. Bureau of Oddities. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so on that note, actually, uh, Jay, I think your next question uh, lines up pretty well here. Uh, yes. In your book, you t- you touched on Slenderman and you spent quite a lot. You, you spend a while going into the fact that you you don't think that Slenderman counts as a shadow person. And I agree. But the reason I bring him up is some people argue that he started out as just a creepy story on the Internet and he was sort of to put it to put it crassly made real by people's belief um you you also in the book talked briefly about the fact that there's kind of an increasing rate of sightings of shadow people in particular crawlers and that got my brain going and kind of wondering is is it possible that we're creating these things by believing in them more or that at the very least we're like we're helping them show up by the fact that we're starting to acknowledge that they exist more frequently. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Uh, Cause I do believe, I do believe in manifestation, um, you know, whether that is, you know, manifesting uh, you know, some sort of entity to come in your home and, you know, if you keep asking for it, you know, eventually you're going to get it. Uh, right. But I believe that with, um, you know, just, you know, the power of positive thinking you can manifest different things in in your life um right. so I, I believe in that on a number of different levels but kind of what you're uh talking about is the idea of, of tulpa the, mm-hmm. the the buddhist thought form the idea that we can uh create a sentient being through uh through our own minds through our own energy and you know the, the Buddhist practiced this um, for, for many many years, and it has kind of made its way into our modern culture. And if you look up uh, Tulpamancy, you'll you'll find this you know, interesting uh, community online of of people that you know, it's generally like the uh, younger crowd that are uh, trying to make sentient 
thought forms of their favorite anime characters is kind of interesting. Um, you know, so are we, you know, when it comes to crawlers and cylinder man and, and these other things, are they more prevalent now because we're talking them into existence or I, I think it's a number of different things here. I, I think we're getting more reports to them for, um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, people are more comfortable coming forward and talking about these things now. So uh, we're naturally going to get, you know, more reports of whether it's shadows, ghosts, ETs, whatever. You know, it's it seems like we're getting it more and more these days, but you know, we're getting inundated in our pop culture with it. Um, so people, it's no longer really taboo to talk about it. It may be in some circles, but, you know, for the most part, it's not really taboo to talk about anymore. So we can, you know, come forth and share this, uh, this information. You know, we've had 20 years worth of television shows bombarding us with it. So before where it was, um, you know, I, you know, I'll be ostracized from my community. My family's going to think I'm nuts, all of that sort of thing. You know, we've, it's something that's been actually great about the television shows and the online community and all that is that they've helped people realize I'm not alone in this. Right. Other people have had these experiences too. So, you know, so that's a big reason as to why we've had more reports. Um, there's also more people in the world, you know, like by billions over the last 20 years. <laughs> right. Well, um, you know, and, and you can take it back even, even further, you know, it, because 40 years ago, you had Han Solzer and the Warrens. Way back in the day, you had you know, Harry Price and others. Um, so, but it's, you know, people are more comfortable talking about it. But when you come to the idea of uh, the thought form, um, you know, a great example is that of uh, Walter B. Gibson, who under the pseudonym uh, Maxwell Grant wrote the old pulp novels, The Shadow became the radio show and, and all of that. Uh, and in his house in New York in Greenwich Village, after he had moved out, uh, people kept reporting seeing this shadow figure there. And so, you know, some had started thinking, okay, maybe it's the ghost of a Revolutionary War soldier and things like this. And both uh, he, Walter B. Gibson, and um, uh, John Keel, in his uh, Mothman prophecies book is where I kind of first found the story and was fascinated by it. It has nothing to do with the Mothman. When he starts talking about the story, he's like, no, this is actually, this is actually a, a tulpa that uh, Gibson had put so much energy out there in writing the shadow character that it actually self-substantiated itself in that house and is still walking around there to this day. That's a fascinating connection to draw because, I mean, the Mothman Prophecies is was the first book we ever covered on the show. And so we've talked we've talked every bit of that book to death. But that is something that we I don't think any of us ever connected before. It's right at the very beginning of the book. Uh, Yeah. It has nothing to do with the Mothman, but there it is. Well, that's the thing. There's so much strangeness in that book. It's so easy to overlook some of those stories. Yeah. I am I am so glad that you brought up the fact that tulpas were originally a, a Buddhist meditation technique because very, very few people that use the word tulpa in, in modern America understand where it came from. And what's extra interesting about that is with things like tulpas and a few other like mystical meditation practices, a lot of a lot of Buddhist masters have gotten really uh, squirrely about people about people who are not actually like taking monastic vows messing with that stuff because they're like this is dangerous like you don't really know what you're you don't really know what you're 
messing with when people try to do like topomancy because it was originally designed to lead you towards enlightenment, which is a very difficult and hard process, which is kind of when I saw Tulpa's link to things like Slenderman and Slenderman and the shadow people, I started to get more nervous if it's like, oh, oh, God, I've read so many stories about this going so wrong. Right. You know, I, I, before we move on to the next question, I also just want to say when you were talking about kind of Tulpa Mancy and the younger generation manifesting their anime characters, you ha- you now have to tell us if you ever encounter a shadow person doing a Naruto run. Uh, <laughs> if if yeah. one comes sprinting through, we expect to be called. I need to know uh, that yeah. personally for me. Yeah. Oh, to be able to run through trees like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a shadow person does a Sailor Moon transformation and starts beating you up while screaming in Japanese and everybody's just like, you know what? We're done. And they go home. I think that's when I quit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also think that's yeah situation you're more concerned with the fact that there's a shadow person beating you than whatever they're saying or or their aesthetic okay you don't get to be solid now that's not fair uh speaking of which speaking of physical dangers uh yeah my next question is in in your experience are there any sort of risk factors to somebody being vulnerable to seeing shadow people or getting caught up in their in their antics or is it just kind of random chance like basically are there people that are just more vulnerable to this to having this happen to them well i mean there's always a risk with with any of this um because in many cases we don't know exactly who or what we're dealing with um until you know further into the case so when you know you you if you move into a house and you start experiencing something, you kind of don't understand what's going on at first. There's, there's activity going on. So it could, yeah, could possibly be dangerous. If you're purposely putting yourself into the situation, like as an investigator or what have you, um, you know, you're always taking that chance because again, you don't know exactly what you're dealing with until you know, further down the road after you've been doing uh, some sort of investigating. So some people seem to have that activity more drawn to them or they become more drawn to it. Um, yeah, we all vibrate at a little bit of a different level. And so uh, I've been talking about how some people see more shadows and apparitions and more some people see more apparitions than shadows. And I believe that all has to do with our own personal resonance, our own personal vibration and how uh, we interact with the world. And even that world that we can't usually see with our eyes. And like, let's say there is a there's some sort of human spirit that's in the room. We may or may not see it. The person next to us could be seeing it and we don't just because, you know, we have that different level of vibration. Even that particular entity, you know, has its own frequency that it's resonating at. So um, we could be looking at the exact same thing. One of us sees it, one of it doesn't, or, you know, maybe we see it at a little bit of a different level. Uh, but yeah, when you have a family that moves into a house and you might have the, you know, the, like there with with Talison, well, they had been living there for twenty years, and they all experienced stuff. But it seemed to be really keyed in on on her in that particular case. Um, so it, it's something that you know she really uh, resonated with, or it resonated with with her. You could make the case out of direction, um, but yeah, and, and you know we see in many times where you know it's like one particular family member uh, that kind of hones in on what's really going on in the house, and some of the others may be oblivious to it. So. And I, but I, I think it all comes back to, to energy and, and personal resonance. Interesting. Uh, thank you. I, I like that too. 
like the idea of it, a lot of it coming down to personal resonance. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean like the higher your frequency, the more you see it. It's just your own personal where you, where where it is, you know, like tuning in on a radio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, well, and also that might explain, I mean, if you kind of expand that idea out to other uh, phenomenon across the spectrum, that might also explain how some two people can look at a UFO event and see completely different things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, or I'm thinking about the miracle at Fatima. Uh, different groups of people saw completely different things when those holy apparitions appeared. Also, in just like basic material life, there are there are people that like can't do word searches because their brain just cannot pick out individual words from jumbles of letters or like. Oh, I thought you were talking about like a Google word search and I was really concerned. No, like, yeah, like word jumbles when you have to like, yeah. Like a scramble, yeah. Yeah, or like like the fact that there's lots of people that cannot tell the difference between bunches of different shades of blue and other people are like, that's turquoise, that's periwinkle, that's sky. Yeah, you just take that to a metaphysical level. Yeah, yeah, you have, there's different physical factors there. You know, some people are, some people are dyslexic, some people are colorblind. Yeah, and so all of those things play into that. You know, some people have, um, my, my, uh, middle son has 2010 vision. He could stand, you know, all the way across the room at the eye doctors and read the very last line on the chart you know, that, uh, that nobody wish. can see. Yeah. You know, he'll be like, yeah, this was printed by, and it's like, that's <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not even asking that buddy, but good job. You know, that makes me wonder if that's like, like with the whole frequency thing, like, I wonder if that plays a part with some of the more. Uh, like the technology that we don't necessarily know how or why it works, but how it seems to work for so much so well for some people. Like, I wonder if their personal frequency has something to do with it, thinking about things like spirit boxes, because those are tuning in and out of radio, uh, out of radio waves. Anyway, if somebody's individual frequency is why they're able to connect to that entity via the spirit box as well, versus why other people who might sit there and go through it had are get nothing like me. Right, like you. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are just charged a little differently. I mean, there's a woman that I used to to work with, and she just would attract um, static electric uh, energy. Mm-hmm. She would. There would be times that she'd be sitting there at her computer, and she would suddenly shock herself on the computer. There's one time <laughs> that she went to. Um, you know, power off her computer monitor. And instead what ended up happening is there was this little lightning bolt that shot out of her finger, hit the computer monitor and rebooted the computer. Just wow. Crazy stuff like that. Wow. And all she was trying to do was just, turn just off touch the it. Yeah. That's, 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 that's crazy. That's amazing. Actually. Yeah. So Mike, in the, in the later parts of your book, you spend uh, a lot of time basically going into all the a bunch of things that you're pretty sure shadow people aren't. Um, I'm just out of just sheer curiosity. What is like the most wackadoo off the wall? What are you talking about theory you've ever had someone float to you about what shadow people are? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I can see by the look on your face, there are several options. Yeah, because I, I think, and I think I mentioned the the one of the uh, I think I mentioned in the book the one with the um, he kind of had like a crescent moon shaped head or something like that, and yeah, I, I think I put that in the WTF shadows uh, yeah. chapter. Yeah, I was like, what do I even do with that, that one? <laughs> not gonna lie, that's my favorite chapter of the book. Yeah, is it okay? Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> it was so weird. I loved it. 
So yeah, there's that one or the weird gorilla thing at Madison Seminary. Yeah, there's mm. some off the wall type of experiences people have had that you're just kind of like, that's really interesting. That's really fascinating. Or the the dire wolf that was on the woman's chest. Um, that's another really interesting one because it's, you know, it, it plays into the old hag syndrome, shadow phenomena, but it's not the old hag and it wasn't a shadow it was a dire wolf but it had some again some similar qualities mm -hmm. with the sleep paralysis and things like that so it's, it's like okay it's related but not exactly what we're talking about here but i'll share the story because it's, it's fascinating it's somehow related right now it's kind of funny because when i first started reading the book i started trying to formulate you know what are, what do i think shadow people are and i arrived at a pretty harebrained solution uh saying well well what if sometimes somebody just falls out of reality but their shadow sticks around like peter pan and it's uh, <laughs> that's what it is but then i reached the point where you were talking about in ancient egypt how they had this kind of idea of the fractal soul and one part of it the part that stayed was the shadow and i was sitting there I was like oh my god it's the peter pan theory it's what there i was thinking go. early on <laughs> Before now, before we jump into our case studies, I had a thought when you had uh, when we were talking earlier, like at the beginning of uh, the questions here about the, when you, you had mentioned the rolling shadow. And that reminded me that I had a thought about that when I was reading the book and I wanted to uh, mention it to you because I was curious on your thoughts about it. But that whole thing and probably because of the books that we were reading leading up to this one made me think of the entire time of like a ghost trying to manifest via ectoplasm. And that's what like the, I like the rolling smoke, like, like it was described in other books, like the medium, would, that's what it looked like when they were manifesting ectoplasm and things like that. So it made me think that what if like some of these shadow people are ghosts that haven't fully been able to fully manifest. And that's just how their ectoplasm is looking right now, you know, or the rolling shadow they have, they can't get, into a physical form at all and so it's just showing as that that rolling smoke and i was just curious what your thoughts are on in terms of ectoplasm in relation to the shadow people and if uh you think that could be part of it or something completely separate yeah it could certainly be part of it um you know i, I do obviously believe that many of these shadow entities that uh, we see and experience are just human spirits that can't fully manifest uh, that one there at Mineral Springs Hotel, you know, I actually saw the shadow manifest into an apparition. Mm -hmm. um, and again, what was interesting about that is we all saw the little girl a little bit differently. But yeah, she started off as the as the rolling black smoke and it was doing some interesting things there where it was kind of like creeping up the wall and creep back down, creep back up, creep back down until it, you know, uh, manifested into that little girl. So, you know, as far as the phenomena of, of ectoplasm, does that play into it as well? I mean, it, it very well could. All this in, all this phenomenon is very interesting. I think it's very interrelated. I think in some cases, I, we try to, I think as humans, try to categorize a little bit too much. I mean, mm -hmm. I, that was like the whole first part of the book, you know, different types of shadows <laughs> and trying to uh, to make sense of it all because that's, that's what we do as humans. And I think in some ways we do that a little too much sometimes. And I think sometimes you just kind of have to shrug and be like, yeah, it's kind of all the same. Yeah. I, I, we, I think we've all been at that breaking point several times in the last couple months. I, so with our final few questions, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, we're, we would like to leverage your considerable expertise to explore a couple shadow people sightings which occurred to us and get your general impressions and see if you have any burning hot takes about what we experience. 
so the first one is a, a incident that happened a number of years ago with me and Rory. I had just come back from college and uh, Rory decided to that Rory wanted to do paranormal investigation. And I, I had nothing better to do. So I said, sure. Uh, to be fair, this specific incident was my boss. Yeah. yeah. Rory's boss. I just happened to be more experienced <laughs> and I'm going to put experienced in quotations because it was very loose at that at that time uh, in which of what I, I had experienced in terms of investigations. But he wanted to do it. So. So it was the most ramshackle th- operation. We, oh, it, yeah. it, uh, he knew the location. It was an old hose factory where in the 20s there had been a fire that had killed several workers and had been abandoned ever since out in Salem, Michigan. I wasn't even there in this fucking hose factory haunts my dreams. <laughs> well, we so we, we so we went out there and it was basically a derelict building in the middle of an overgrown industrial lot. And we walked inside. The place had been scoured clean. It was just open concrete, an open concrete floor plan and a singular hallway. And when we got in there, we noticed that there was sections of the of kind of the roofing that had torn free. And there were these large jagged chunks of metal hanging down like by loose threads. Uh, so, you know, we're, of course, we're a little afraid we're going to get killed by the roof. Right. Uh, and we moved down to that hallway. And at the end of that, there's this kind of long hallway towards the back of the room that seemed like there were smaller workshops going off of. And at the far end of the hall, there was a window that had to be, what, eight or nine feet off the ground. Yeah, it was uh, like a, like a shop window that mm-hmm. you would look at somebody maybe you know making something or doing something inside. So as we take one step, though, into that hallway. Uh, me, Rory and Rory's boss were the only ones there. We all felt this immediate uh, chill and feeling of intense dread. And what we then noticed was that our flashlight beams uh, didn't really hit anything when we were pointing them down the hallway. They just ended at the shadows at the end of the hallway. And then we saw that shadow kind of move up and block the light from the window. And then there was this what appeared to be a very large, you know, again, that window is eight or nine feet off the ground. So easily this thing was 10 or 11 feet uh, entity kind of moving towards us and being um, unprepared and chubby Midwestern kids. We ran out of there. Um, But the creepy thing was that as we were running out, we noticed that uh, those chunks of metal were now swaying towards us. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And so we got outside and we decided to uh, circle the building once and just kind of see if we could see anything from outside. And over to the side of the building in the uh, tall grass, we found an area that had been stamped down a, a while ago. It didn't look very recent. No, it, it looked like it had grown over even a little bit yeah. in some part. But we found uh, burned grass, uh, wax, as well as some form of animal bones. Um, and so I'm curious, have you ever seen any situations where kind of shadow entities in the occult might overlap or do you have any kind of thoughts about uh, that experience? Yeah. Um, well, certainly an interesting experience because you had, you know, the shadow completely black out the light. So the occlusion of light, um, something very, very tall. And it, it seemed, you know, it was physically interacting with things there in the building. If you have stuff swaying that is like maybe knocking into and of course, you know, the energy shift there where you got, you could actually feel it, its presence and that sense of dread. So you could feel it's, it's energy interacting with yours. Um, but as far as, you know, crossing over with the occult, uh, you know, the one story that I share there in the, in the book about crawlers at uh, Black Bear Church mm-hmm. out in uh, Olive Township, Oklahoma, where, you know, the rumor had been for, for several years, it was kind of like local legend where, the crawler had been conjured up by 
some kids or some occult, you know, whatever out there. And, you know, there wasn't, a, there's not a way to really substantiate it. It's like you, you go into the church and you notice some different things that, okay, you know, there's this pedestal back there and, you know, we found some burnt bones on there one time. I and mean, it could have been somebody reheating their Kentucky fried chicken, but <laughs> you just don't know. Right. Um, but it, it's like, okay, if somebody has been doing things like that here, this is where it would be. And we did, you know, interact with that crawler. And there are all kinds of stories from that, that location about, you know, these shorter shadow beings that were like minions to the crawler that had to stay outside the church and they'd come up to the windows. And, you know, we did interact with the crawler, the, the one investigation there. And um, yeah, it was definitely a very creepy moment. Uh, the thing was just kind of swirling around us in the room, you know, knocked over things on the floor was on the the uh, the ceiling the walls all of that sort of thing and the medium that was with us at the time suggested okay let's lighten the atmosphere here let's like sing some hymns say some prayers stuff like that and we ended up pushing the thing out of there but uh but yeah that's certainly one that it, you know the legends could have really been true you know, there, again there's no way to know for sure but you know, maybe they were very interesting. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you for that. All right, sure. Jay, do you want to take away with yours? Uh, yes. So the entity in question seems to have been attached to a single individual for now going on about 13 years, uh, has been most frequently described as vaguely female and almost always wearing a hood, uh, possibly appearing in both an animal form and a very tall, like eight to 10 foot form, uh, is overall non-hostile, but is also distinctly not friendly, has made no attempts to hurt this individual or anyone around them, but is also just not like, is not overly like warm or affectionate. Not chatty. Yeah. And <laughs> has, has an overall just very unnerving presence. Um, it makes some attempts to communicate usually by showing itself to this particular individual um, and seems to, accept little gifts in exchange for favors such as like bringing back small items that have been lost um and the person that this this entity appears to be attached to also sees shadow people quite frequently um including crawlers specifically and these other creatures seem to get chased off by this entity interesting Okay. There's a lot going on with that. Yeah. Um, lot to unpack. There. We've been all picking our brains about it for years now. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, the interesting thing you know, with the, um, you know, with the, with the little gifts for favors, almost like a little tribute and they'll um, do a favor. I mean, that almost seems like something out of the fairy realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep. Which is really interesting. Um, or if it's, is it more of a trickster or is it, or does it, you know, go through and, and follow through with the different favors um well there's one case in particular where the item that was lost was like a, a ring it was a piece of jewelry and the, the person that this entity appears to have been attached to was giving multiple offerings which the the entity seems to respond most positively to getting coins and the ring didn't come back but two other smaller, like less important items that have been lost for months suddenly reappeared in places that they definitely hadn't been before. Like a consolation prize. Yeah. 
yeah, like that was that's the distinct impression that the individual in question got is she couldn't get the ring back, but she brought these back instead, almost like, okay, you you gave me you gave me the things that I asked for. So I had to give you something. Huh? Yeah, this I mean, it almost sounds like. The. Part of it sounds like something out of the fairy realm, like I said earlier, but other parts of it almost sound like maybe some form of gin. Actually, it's interesting. That's something we haven't talked about. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't the, think the concept about that. of the deal making. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Uh, and yep, yep, the deal making. Yeah, you have the shape shifting in there. Yeah. Huh. That's that's yeah, fascinating. In and out of this plane of existence into another. Yeah. Interesting. No, that's that's really that interesting. Be- so I I guess. Uh, I guess on that topic, um, kind of shifting away from these case studies a little bit, I guess, is that basically, though, the investigative kind of checklist you go through when you're encountering a case? Like, what is this doing? What does that sound like in lore? Is that a fairy or a gin or something like that? Uh, like, do you have a set checklist or is it more intuitive than that? Yeah, I, yeah, I can't say that there's a set checklist. It's one of those where, you know, I've been researching for so long that, um, you know, I start hearing some of these different characteristics and it's like, oh, you know, it, it you know, relates to these type of stories that I've heard. And, um, you know, many of these things are, you know, legend and lore that have been passed down for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. So over the course of time, they've taken many different forms and different shapes. And, you know, even like with the shadow uh, phenomenon, you look at cultures all over the world that were never connected to each other uh, and they have, very, very similar stories about you know, the shadow entities, but you know, they might call it a different name. They might have some other legend and lore surrounding it, but at the heart of it is still the same type of phenomenon. So um, that's kind of why I was hemming and hawing between, okay, is it uh, something to do with fairies? Could it possibly be gin? Because it has characteristics that are similar to each. So, you know, is it possibly whatever, because all these have a, you know, a, a root to it. You know, it, it is all these legends and lore stories and things that we've decided to name this phenomena. They all have their root in something. And the, and the challenge is trying to get through, you know, the legend and lore, um, you know, that we we put on it as humans to get to that original truth. So, um, you know, the, the characteristics kind of help you go down one particular path rather than, Rather than something like ETs, I'm going to go more toward, you know, the the more kind of fantastical side of things with that particular story, mm-hmm. uh, just based on some of the different characteristics. Yeah. Well, thank you very, very much. Yes. That was uh, very interesting. Yes, yeah. thank it you. Gave us a lot more to think about. Which which brings us actually to our last question. Uh, this should be a very easy one. What's next for Mike? Uh, <laughs> and where can people find your work? Oh, uh, yeah. What's next for me? Uh, well, there's always more books coming out. So I'm always writing something. Uh, the big the big project that I've been working on right now uh, is Connected Universe Portal. So it's an online learning site where you can get all kinds of I have uh, two big courses that I have up right now. One is specifically on shadow entities. The other is on uh, ancient Egypt. And then there's a membership side to it with weekly classes and all kinds of other you know uh, videos and articles and, and all that wonderful stuff. It's also the Shadow Dimension docu-series, which came out earlier this year, which you know dives into all of this phenomena. You can watch it free on Tubi right now, and I'm in the kind of beginning stages of season two of that. Okay, cool. Very cool. And um, I 
oh my gosh, guys, I have a whole laundry list of things that I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the the uh, the Ireland tour coming up next summer, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, so many things. That sounds so cool. So you can find me at MikeRicksecker.com or uh, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. All right. Well, uh, that all sounds great. We're excited to see season two. And obviously, uh, whatever you publish next, we're going to pick it up and, and give it a look. Absolutely appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Of course. So uh, I think that concludes our interview. Thank you so much, Mike, for giving us your time and your attention today. Yes. Thank yes. You. Thank you so much. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Sincerely. Take a walk with us.